Great. Thank you very much, everybody. This is Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. And we're without Blake Rutherford today, who's traveling for business. Uh, but I'm here with uh, Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, as always. And uh, we're joined, Mark, today uh, by, by three real live millennials. We think. We think. <laughs> we we'll think talk they're about millennials. That. We're definitely joined by them. Our colleagues, Kate, Caitlin Martin, uh, who's been on our call before is here with us, as well as newcomers Hope Shields and Greg Jarmus, who are uh, with our team as research professionals. So welcome everybody. It's going to be a little bit different today without Blake. I'll be a feeble substitute, but I'll, I'll do my best to at least get the dialogue started. And it seems like, I don't know, the Kavanaugh thing is a political eclipse. Everybody's talking about it. Maybe in a week we won't be. Maybe in a week we will be. It feels like um, it's having some political impact, which I think is um, what the focus of this call will be. Uh, so, so everybody's talking about that. Meanwhile, the generic congressional ballot um, has ticked down in terms of um, the Democrats' lead in the generic congressional ballot, and Trump's approval ratings have have ticked up, um, not massively, but but up a couple of points. All of which seems to bode well today for, um, or, or or less poorly, I should say, for the Republicans. But Mark, what are your thoughts on on where we are? Well, we're in bad place, whichever team you're on. This has just been a very sad spectacle all around. So we, we need to begin there. But in political terms, I think what you're seeing in the numbers you alluded to, Howard, is that the Democrats had nowhere to go. The Democrats were fired up and ready to go, and the polling was showing tremendous intensity. The Republicans were much less so. I think the Kavanaugh debacle has fired up some of the Republicans, more the establishment side than the base, which was always fired up and in the game. And I think that accounts for the tick up. But there are going to be 34 news cycles between now and November 6th, and the History would suggest, the history of this president would suggest that we are a couple of debacles and spectacles away from the election. Yeah, Caitlin, it, what happens, where does this um, Kavanaugh thing go, and what's the um, impact politically? I think that the Kavanaugh confirmation debacle, as Mark called it. I, I do think that this has fired up and brought home a lot of establishment Republicans that weren't fired up before. I think there's some... Why? Because I think that that, look, we're litigating this, and there's not one shred of proof or evidence that any of these allegations happened. You have different individuals coming out, making even more outlandish claims. We have two individuals whose lives and, and, and names have really almost been, been ruined and tarnished by this on, on both sides, whether you're talking about Mrs. Ford or you're talking or Ms. Ford or you're talking about Kavanaugh. And I think that people are angry about the process. They've seen that this process has been so politicized on both sides. 
and it's bringing home i think it is bringing home a lot of establishment republicans some of the never trumpers some of the the bush voters who are saying this enough is enough let's move on let's confirm this judge kavanaugh to the bench and and let's move on and and i think that's what you're seeing with some of these poll numbers tightening i know heidi heitkamp's um numbers have slipped a bit as well and i think that in some of these states i think we're going to be really closely watching what senator manchin's doing what senator heitkamp's doing what lisa murkowski suzanne collins and then of course jeff flake are doing as they make this decision but i think ultimately he will be confirmed by a week from today hope well, to I have a lot of different points about this because it's been a crazy, crazy couple of weeks. But I would say that potentially the reason why we're seeing an uptick in the polls is yes, because for Republicans is because this is bringing out more of that base for those reasons. But another part of it is I don't that think it's bringing out the base. I think it's bringing out some of the establishment Republicans. Oh, sorry. Too. When yeah. I say the base, yeah. <laughs> So a little bit of defining of terms there. Um, but I'd say another big win in all of this Kavanaugh stuff is that we aren't talking about tariffs. And when we're talking about, especially in the Senate, the critical races that need to be won, the people and the demographics that, and the issues that people care about, the things that are hitting people's wallets hard right now are these tariffs. And if we're talking about the Supreme Court all the time, which, you know, to me in DC is the critical issue of the moment, but it's three or four steps away from where it impacts people's decisions and their wallets and their able abilities to organize. So right now the issues that are and in the midst of at the end of this Kavanaugh stuff, we have the new NAFTA come out. So I think that is actually a much stronger indicator especially in these critical races, than Kavanaugh. Well, you don't see this, the Sunday night renegotiation of NAFTA, which we're not calling NAFTA any, anymore. Apparently, it's the USMCA. You don't think that that kind of came across as a little bit of a win for the president? I think that's good news. Oh, I'm saying front. it did. I'm saying that's part of that shift in opinion. Um, but I also... We still have those tariffs against China, and guess where all of our soybeans go? You know, this is still right. a huge critical economic issue for the people who, you know, the way that the Senate is designed, have a very large voice in what's going to happen. So it's it's almost it's been a it's been a well timed distraction from the huge issue that's impacting the voters who everybody's votes matter, but the voters who really matter in this upcoming election. And the voters that went for Trump. Yes. Greg, so. what's your perspective? Um, well, to speak to the polarization point that Caitlin started by bringing up, that's obviously, to me, um, kind of on on the radar screen of everybody who's been following this, uh, the frustrations with Washington, the, the sense that nothing can get done. Um, Jeff Flake, who obviously called for the the week-long limited FBI uh, investigation uh, said, um, "Of course, no. He couldn't. He couldn't have called for that delay if uh, if he was actually planning on running again." Um, but I think uh, the interesting part to me was how to square this pew polling that's come out um, over the course of the nomination process um, that has uh, actually Democrats for the for the first time uh, saying that uh, the Supreme Court appointments are a more important uh, issue for them than for Republicans in 
2016, 62% of Democrats considered SCOTUS nominations very important, and it was 81% uh, as of a week or so ago. And Republicans have, have long considered it uh, a very important issue, 70% in 16 and 72% in 18. Um, so kind of balancing that against how uh, the, the, the process has played out, um, I think it, it, we can probably boil it down to what you guys say every week, that all politics is local. And as the New York Times uh, reported over the week, or uh, opinionized over the weekend, editorialized over the weekend, that uh, uh, it's probably the, the red Senate race, red state Senate races, um, where uh, this is this issue is playing well for Republicans. Manchin and Heitkamp are still notably on the fence. Uh, Donnelly has, has you know, taking somewhat of a political risk, maybe in Indiana, um, in in coming out with a with a no vote on Kavanaugh, um, but we'll see how that plays out. He's clearly making a play to his base, and uh, and uh, as as the establishment kind of the establishment Republicans kind of join join with their base. I heard them say that there's some speculation that the FBI investigation may be wrapped up today. I think which, they said it could have been wrapped up last night. Is what I've been hearing. Which is I don't understand that. I mean. I mean, I do and I don't. How can you, the real FBI investigations? Well, the reporting, of course, as Caitlin's saying, is that it's done or thereabouts because it's been so limited and that the agency and the agents are upset with the limitations that have been placed on the investigation. And it's just more of yeah. the spectacle. But when the FBI investigation shows that it shows nothing more than what we already know, well, what's going to happen here? We're going to vote. Yeah, one side. Yeah. It, it unfortunately, to use the uh, the word du jour, is tribal. One tribe's going to win, and one tribe's going to lose. <clears throat> I think, as Caitlin uh, predicted, that we're going to vote, and he's probably going to get confirmed. And the question is, what politically, politically, we can talk another time about what that actually means for the Supreme Court of the United States. But set that aside, politically, nothing good. Nothing good. None but, of this is good for the Supreme right, Court. Right, that's where we began. But politically, what does it mean for the winning side? What does it mean for the losing side? And, and we'll see. Indiana, I just want to note, um, is very interesting because it makes everybody's point here. Uh, Donnelly is in a margin of error race in a very red state that Trump carried by significant double digits. The reason he's hanging in there is, as Greg reminded us, all politics is local. He's a popular guy. And as Hope reminded us, the tariffs are very damaging in Indiana, economically damaging. Indiana is not only soybeans, but autos, and autos are made of steel, and it's not working well in Indiana, the president's tariff program, if you can even call it a program. So there's a place where it's cut in every which way, and as a result, margin of error. And, and we'll just have to see which way the the confirmation if that's See, indeed what happens cuts. I, I think he's not getting confirmed and I think in a, in a normal scenario 
Well, we'll wait. I'll take that bet. Hold on. No, no. But what? What is the relevance of hypothesizing a normal scenario? Because I'll tell you, in a in, in a normal in a typical Washington world, Mitch McConnell would not bring him to the floor for a vote if he were going to be voted down. Correct. Okay. But he's going to. I think he's going to because 100%. I think a loss is a win. Hundred percent. Because when he, I think he's going to accidentally win. I think well, McConnell's going to bring it to the floor and get him through. But I agree. I think he's a sacrificial lamb at this point. I don't see. I mean, look, it's speculation, but I don't. I don't know that Collins and Murkowski and Flake cast a yes vote, and when they don't, and he does not get confirmed. That's that, very bad for Heidi Heitkamp. Right, it fires up It's the, very bad for Heidi Heitkamp. It's very bad for the vulnerable incumbent Democrats in very red states with the footnote. And I'm very interested what, what uh, our millennials, uh, if we can define that, that would help me also. But <laughs> it, the footnote is, how is that going to cut among suburban women, since there are suburbs in some places and not in North Dakota, and how is that going to cut among young voters, <coughs> millennial voters? I think in terms of the establishment, as Caitlin was saying, we know which way that'll go if, if Kavanaugh is not confirmed. But what what is that going to mean, um, throwing this out to the millennials on, on our team here? What what are what's your generation thinking of all this? Well, so definitions. And, and who are you? Yeah, definitions <laughs> are important. So maybe maybe starting there. So millennials, it's an interesting term because it's been it's been very politicized, and like every third BuzzFeed article says something about millennials. But okay, so I have Pew pulled up right here, and they in their statistical research, the millennials are the generation born between. Let me see. Um, I just found it between 1981 and 1996. So I'm actually at the tail end of this. So all the kids born after that, those are Gen Zers. And so, but they can vote. They can vote. Um, but when we're talking about millennials, people conflate the two, and those are two very different groups of people. Right. And so when we're looking, this is these are people. This is a generation that's reaching 40, and you know, from my standpoint and the economic research I've done. Um, it's becoming increasingly hard to live the life at 40 that your parents were able to live in the previous generation. And that, and I think Gen Zers are looking at their life and their prospects and how expensive it is to get educated and how hard it is to get into the workforce. Um, among other issues as the leading things that will become things that they vote on. And I think right now, one thing that's exciting is now more than, Two or three years ago, um, my peers who are talent millennials are more and more excited about voting in the civic process. So that makes me very excited, especially, you know, as a Democrat, that makes me very excited because a lot of them. Well, that's are the question. More terms. engaged in um, the process and on which which tribe? Well, that's I mean, I think that's very geographically split. Totally. Um, and so, yeah. I'm <laughs> coming from where I'm coming from. I see it as being very democratic, but it's very different if I were to go to different places in this country. Uh, so 
But that that's what millennials are. Okay. <laughs> so. They're my children. Yeah, it's I've like got three millennials. <laughs> the um, according to that definition. Well you should get to know them more. But a lot of us I'm I mean I I'm, I'm trying. A lot of us hate the millennial brand. Why? Right? Yeah. Because we don't all neatly fit into one bucket and I think whether it's this indication that we are all left-leaning or we are all focused on certain issues I mean I I kind of disagree with a little bit of what Hope just said look this the stock market is booming taxes are tax cuts have in my opinion we've seen some successes from tax cuts look I notice a difference in my paycheck yeah I never oh really we're paying you more (laughs) (laughs) no I'm paying the government less okay Okay. Um, you are a Republican, aren't you? I, you know, yeah. 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 I, I, I read your resume. <laughs> Look, I was kind of in denial. 4.2% GDP growth, stock market at an all-time high, less regulation, maybe, well, lower taxes for some people, anyway. Um, there's, there's no question that Donald Trump gets to claim some credit for uh, further taking advantage of the groundwork that was laid for him by Barack Obama and the Federal Reserve, there's no question. There's and no the question. And absolutely, ah, the TARP program. Trying to that. Um, no, there's no, there's and no happy question. Anniversary. He gets. To, thank you. Ten years. He gets to. He gets to take credit for that. It's. It's. There's no. There's no question. But there are lots of other dynamics in play. Well, millennials are defined thanks to hope as whatever that that was. But I think it's more a question of under a certain age rather than within a, a certain bandwidth. I think that there's sort of under 40 voters and, and over 40 and maybe draw a line somewhere in their 65 or so above 40 but the engagement is is the point it seems to me because just statistically that demographic has been significantly less engaged especially in the midterms in especially in midterms and it does feel like more Americans under 40 are going to vote this time than than the last time and the time before that Interestingly, though, all the projections, the most aggressive, optimistic projections, still don't put turnout at more than 50%, which is a subject for another call, maybe. But that, that to me, is one of the structural problems with, uh, with where we are. But in terms, if I may, just bringing it back to, uh, to today's news, uh, it is it possible to generalize about where the Kavanaugh disaster is cutting among younger voters or or is it what's happening at this table where we have two represent three representatives and I'm not going to make people hold up their hands but I think it's a split vote here pretty <laughs> clearly I'd say yeah it's not 
it's not scientifically or you know factually accurate to say that an entire generation of people feel one way or another on an issue um, but uh, in the same way it's you know it's it goes back to what we keep on saying about elections that you know all politics are local and it it I mean, well, if you if you live in D.C., you don't really have a voice in your federal government. But that's also another conversation for another time. Um, but do you, it's, live, you, do you both live in the district? I do. I'm a D.C. voter, yeah. Mm. Good. <laughs> no. Um, but I mean, in terms of, you know, what will an entire group of people do in the face of this Kavanaugh stuff? I mean, I think it's really interesting to talk about, you know, the soccer mom vote or to talk about, you know, a lot of Democratic strategies getting out suburban women voters. And, you know, also thinking about the statistic that one in five women are raped in their lifetime. So that cuts across a lot of different groups. Um, and, like, that's not just the soccer moms it's not just the people who've been to college it's a lot of these cross-cutting issues around labor and employment and humans in this country so i think it cuts a lot deeper um when people are paying attention and see its actual impact on them than specific demographics of voters look indiana north dakota florida etc montana Missouri, Nevada, West Virginia. They're not going to be decided Arizona. by Republicans and Democrats. They're not. They're going to be decided by independent voters, by people in the middle. And I agree with your point that, um, you know, that, that all politics is local. Obviously, we say it every week. Um, and I don't think that, I don't think that these issues are as much about Republicans versus Democrats as they are about um, the, the gender gap, for one. Um, I, I just think, I think we're divided. People focus so much on ours versus these when I think the divisions running through our society that impact the way people vote are, are race and gender and, and other things that um, college educated versus not college right, educated. Right, they're much. It's much I deeper. Think, yes, yes, and it's a version of what I, I was uh, saying a second ago about turnout. First of all, half the eligible voters aren't going to show up. So start right there. That's not an R or a D thing. Those are people who are, for whatever reasons, mostly alienation, are just not coming to vote. Then within the 50% who are voting, I'll, I'll go first on, on our tribe. This is a divided tribe, Hope, on our Democratic side, as is Caitlin, the Republican tribe. So it, it is far, far more complicated and multidimensional than just R versus D except that when it comes to confirming a Supreme Court nominee, it's going to be 49 Ds, I think, I think, maybe not all, and 51 or 50 Rs. Do you think, Howard, there are any Republican senators not voting to confirm other than the three that everybody talks about? Probably not. Probably not, but they don't have to because the three 
Well, if they can hide behind the vote of the three who aren't. Right. It's like the easiest thing in Washington, Mark, as you know, because we see this every day, is to cast a vote for or against something when you know your position's losing anyway. Right. Or winning any. It's like, what's the downside? You get the political, if you're, I don't know, pick a member, Richard Shelby in Alabama, like, <laughs> what's the downside to voting for Kavanaugh? I'm sure he has no trouble voting right. for Kavanaugh. But what's, the, but what's the downside, and pick any Republican right, right, right. senator, what's the downside to casting a yes vote if you know he's going down anyway, if that's good for your for your local politics? I don't think it, I don't think there is one. No, I agree. What you were just saying, Mark, about, about the numbers and the breakdown, that's, that's what's sad and unfortunate because this process didn't used to be so political. Voting for a Supreme Court nominee, which that is the, the role of the president to put forth the Supreme Court nominee with the advice and consent of the Senate. And I worry that, that the erosion of this process, and, and yes, we can talk about Gorsuch, Gorsuch as well, and that whole... Well, I was going to act, I always have trouble remembering which side it was that withheld even a hearing from the presidential nominee look, for 10 months. Look, that was, which side was that? that was if you're Mitch McConnell, your side, I if, think. If you're Mitch McConnell, you get to have your cake and eat it too. Because there's still time from talking to my friends up in Cap on Capitol Hill who, who um, are involved in these things. There's still time if Kavanaugh goes down to confirm someone in the lame duck session of Congress. So, so what's the so McConnell can win twice, I think, by Kavanaugh going down and still getting a conservative on the court, even if the Demo even if the Democrats take the Senate in in November, he's still got time. And yeah, it may be hypocritical, but guess what? That's the way. <laughs> This, I mean, I you have the gavel if you have the gavel, yeah. and but it, right it, now they have the gavel. Looking at how we got here, I think it's um, important to be self-honest on both sides and say this was a bipartisan effort to create such an absolute disgrace and disaster of a nomination process. It was Mitch McConnell as majority leader who withheld even a hearing from Judge Garland mm -hmm. and who then invoked the nuclear option or whatever we call it for Supreme Court justices, of course. But, but he was following up on Harry Reid's imposition of a 50 vote, 51 vote majority for lower court judges. Right. And you, you can go back to the book of Genesis and trade stories about which side is responsible. We are where we are. I don't see, I don't see the midterms getting us out of this hole is, is sort of where I'm going with this. It, this for sure is not going to be a unifying election. We're gonna have to wait for another one to try to heal some of this. Except I think it's going to be crazy because I think it's going to be hype. It's, it is going to be hyper local, and the map is going to be all over the place. I think it's. I think you're going to see Republicans win races that Democrats can win, and and vice versa. I mean, in place in in swing districts, it's going to come down to it's going to come down to the candidate. 
and the demographics of the district. It's like we have a race, in, I was just talking with some people about this uh, earlier this morning. We have a red seat in suburban Philadelphia up in Bucks County, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's a good guy and is one of the few moderate Republicans who didn't quit or get driven from office or otherwise disappear from the ballot. And he's not afraid to speak out when and he he's disagrees not afraid to, with afraid to speak out and he voted against repealing the Affordable Care Act. He did vote for the tax cuts. But he's, he is he is a guy that a lot of Democrats respect and have no problem other than voting for Speaker Ryan to uh, run the House. He, he is a good guy. He is hugely at risk in this environment. He has a very progressive, very progressive Democrat running against him, a Democrat who is even too progressive for some of the Democrats back to our split. But what is happening in his district today, I believe, based on my reporting, as we say, is that the women in that district, this Kavanaugh thing is cutting hard against Fitzpatrick in that district. And women are calling the Democratic campaign to volunteer to come out on election day and, and put him over the top. So it's to our constant point, it's local, it's what's happening in that district. It is a suburban district. There are a lot of soccer moms or whatever we call the um, the moderate Republican women. And, and this is Republican. Well, well, in that district they are, and it's a, but it's a bridge too far with this whole Kavanaugh thing. That is not happening in North Dakota because the those suburbs aren't, they don't exist. It's not happening in West Virginia either. It's not happening in well, West Virginia. To be Virginia. fair, we could have made that same exact point, said that same exact sentence, so group of sentences, about child separation at the border. You know, people were like, you know, this is the last straw that's right. bringing all these women out, but it doesn't matter in these districts. And it's like, well, what does matter in these districts? And I, think that goes back I still think it's tariffs, um, but I it's interesting because it almost, it does feel cyclical at a certain point, like something comes out, oh, it's polarizing to these same demographics that aren't necessarily the, the difference between this hope and the uh, separation of the border is that was then and this is 34 days that's true and by the time it's over it'll be 30 33 days mm -hmm. other additional <laughs> outrages yeah. that are getting yeah. people fired up mm -hmm. that's that's really the variable if if we knew what was going to happen between the confirmation vote and election day we'd be a lot better situated to predict but anything goes in this in this environment caitlin um how are you sizing up the house race house races at, at this point so i still think that Dems are going to take the majority in the House. I don't think it's going to be by as large of a margin as um, we initially thought, but I do think that, unfortunately, I would, I, I hope this doesn't happen, but I think reading, reading the numbers, looking at the races, um, it does look like, unfortunately, we might have a Speaker Pelosi beginning in uh, January 2019. Yeah, we will have, if the Democrats retake the 
house there will be a speaker pelosi oh absolutely yeah there is and i know no mark i know you it. have a different view i do but have a different view uh who's it's who's, less of a different view since joe crowley managed right, to get right. fired <laughs> who well that's the problem yeah. it's less of a different view since joe crowley went down but there is tremendous dissatisfaction with the idea of a Speaker Pelosi in the Democratic Party. And you got to see who gets elected. You got to see which, which newcomers are actually coming to Congress. But she's, she's a favorite. She, Hope, she is a favorite. Hope and Greg, do you, do you, do you even care about that? Not too much. About House leadership? Yeah. Do you care whether Nancy Pelosi or somebody else is the next Speaker of the House? Uh, we could have another Speaker, Ryan. McCarthy. What What did you say, Greg? I said I would like to see a younger Speaker. I, I forget the exact statistics on the average age of uh, Congress members in general, but it, it's pretty old. Um, and so just a, from a from a generational standpoint, um, and uh, kind of a frustrated with uh, status quo in Washington standpoint, um, I think I'm probably not alone in, even though, like Hope, I, I live in kind of a bubble here in the Philadelphia suburbs, um, in, in, in wanting to see something fresh, not necessarily like ideologically fresh, but just a different face. Um, but it, it's probably not, not so much of a motivating factor. Um, Hope, what's your... It's pretty far, far down the list. So I, I personally, looking, personally, I've looked at her legacy and I've read a ton about the things she does, and I respect her a ton. Like, I just want to first out say that. I think, you know. She's a strong female leader. Strong uh, look, I don't, leader, I don't love yeah. Nancy, but she raises a lot of money. And yeah. So that said, um, I, I don't really know, and I'm not sure I have a strong opinion about who should be there, but I know that if it's a polarizing figure, as she's increasingly turning out to be, or if it's someone who seems to be far more, far more progressive, then it'll make it harder to elect more Democrats in the next election. So, I, I mean, I think a couple of Beltway briefings ago, we were talking about how this next election has the potential to really split the Democratic Party pretty far apart, and that has some pretty strong implications for what's going to happen in 2020. So I guess maybe that's too long of a view of taking on it, and, and I'd love to hear your perspectives on that, but I definitely think if it's not Pelosi, then we need to find someone moderate instead of super progressive, because that way, if it's someone too progressive, then it'll be even harder to get votes in 2020 okay so mark um i mean i get the um the you know that kavanaugh is having some impact i think you hope or greg made the point to me yesterday that how much higher can can democratic enthusiasm go right i mean not much i, I mean the the democrats from top to bottom are, are pretty fired up just by Trump alone. Right. Um, uh, so it, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense to me that it would have this much of an impact, that Trump's approval ratings would tick back up into the 40s and, and that the generic congressional ballot would be cut in half from 14 to 7. It, uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, that's today. 
right? Check it in 72 hours. It's so volatile. I think what that movement means more than anything else is that despite the intensity on the Democratic side and now maybe the enhanced intensity on the Republican side. Which I think we're not paying enough attention to. We'll, we'll, we'll know more in 34 days. <laughs> we, I, I agree that that is a variable, but mostly it's just volatile. People are mad as hell. People are, are telling pollsters something different every time they talk. And there is such a reactivity in the electorate that every event seems to be seismic. Separation at the border, for example. And then it's gone. It's eclipsed by we, the next one. And we, it, it's why I repeat what I said a second ago. You tell me what's going to happen between now and November 6th, and I'll tell you what's going to happen on November 6th. But yes, today, the snapshot today is, is more Republican intensity than yesterday. That, that's my headline for where we are. Caitlin? No, I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, With the footnote, as we keep saying, that you got to look at 435 separate House races. The generic ballot is less important the closer you get to the election. The, um, the thing that, look, the numbers are what the numbers are. I mean, there are 92 seats in Congress that are currently held by Republicans that are rated by the various political outlets in a way that, um, that they're in play. And less than half that number, I think it's 42 seats that are currently held by Democrats. So on some level, this is just, this is just a numbers game. They need 23 to, to flip the House. It seems like no matter where the numbers go between now and the election. Um, the map, the House map favors Democrats because of retirements and other Republican events. And the Senate map is Mount Everest for Democrats. And people have actually, people have actually gotten to the summit of Mount Everest alive and come back down, but, but it's a steep climb. Yeah. Good. Well, I think uh, we're going to wrap up this week's uh, Beltway Briefing Call. We'll be back next week. Caitlin, what, what day are we on next week? We are back on the 11th, which is next Thursday. Okay. Well, we look forward to that. Um, Hope, Greg, Caitlin, Mark, I'm again a weak substitute for Blake Rutherford, but um, thanks for joining us. Thanks everybody for dialing in and listening, listening to us today. We'll be back with, with more commentary. Um, potentially a new Supreme Court justice. Right. Potentially a new Supreme Court nominee um, in, the, in the weeks ahead. But thank you so much and look forward to continuing the dialogue. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Howard. Thank you.